The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's economic climate, it is very hard to know what to do with your money. Every financial move is a choice. Sometimes they are good choices, and you will reap the rewards of success. Sometimes they are bad choices, which can leave you in financial ruin if you make too many. Welcome to The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. Our program will help you to make the good choices and avoid the bad. Now, here is Gordon Bennett. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Gordon Bennett. Again with you on Path to Financial Freedom. And I think all of us want to believe that financial freedom is a realistic and achievable goal in our life. With me here today is my wife, Pat. Uh, she's a retired corporate executive, and she will add some comments on some of the things we have to say today. And in our last segment, uh, you don't want to miss this. We're going to talk about goals and how important it is to have those in your life, particularly in your financial life, and she'll give you some guidelines on that. So what do we mean by financial freedom? I think you have to decide that for yourself. Financial freedom for most people involves money. Having enough, most people would tell me, if I only had a little bit more. And yet I know people who have a lot more and they keep wanting more. Somebody once told me the difference between a millionaire who has seven million dollars and a kid who has seven kids who's happiest. It's the one with the kids because he doesn't want any more. But no matter how much you have, you seem to want more. If only you could make your life more content. So you're going to have to decide on how to be satisfied in your financial life. I can tell you from my experience, 90% of financial independence and financial freedom is up to you. 10% of it is the cards you get dealt in life. It's, you know, luck and the world out there. There's a lot of books out there that supposedly will tell you how to find financial freedom and how to be content. And if you read them all, you'll find out there's about five core principles. And those five principles repeat in every book I've ever read. And so if you master the core, if you master the fundamentals, if you stay within those, your chances of reaching financial freedom are increased exponentially. So today what I want to do is explore those five fundamentals with you and then discuss some of the risks to your financial freedom and wrap up with some goal-setting ideas. The experts, incidentally, always agree on this. You don't find any difference of what those core principles are. You see difference in tactics on how to get there. So let's start with the first one. And this goes back clear to 1926. There was a book written called The Richest Man in Babylon. That book is still available. You can get it as Amazon, and it's still in print. Principle number one. Pay yourself first. You're working. That's your money. Pay yourself first. Everybody agrees that's the way to financial independence. How much? 10%. Gross or net? 
Do you want to retire on gross or net? You decide. Probably 10% of your gross should be set aside for your long-term financial goals. I have P, and the best way to do that, of course, is if you've got an employer plan or an automatic takeout from your checking account at work, at the bank. But get that 10% out of your site before you start spending what's left of it. Now I run a class and people look at me and say, look at, I run out of money long before I run out of month. There is no way in my life that I can save 10%. And what I challenge them to do is I pass out an envelope and say, reach in your pocket right now, find out how much is in there. If you've got $10 in your pocket, take out one. Take out 10% of what's in your pocket right now. Do it while you're listening. Take that 10% and hide it and see if you can keep it from being spent for a whole week. The chances are you will make it through the week without touching that 10%. You have just proved to yourself you can pay yourself first. That is the key to getting started. If you're not paying yourself first, if you're paying all your bills first and using your money first and hoping there will be some left over, well, you know where that's gotten you up to date. It's not enough. 10% is the bare minimum in today's world. It may take you a while to get there, but that's what you need to be looking out for. Now, what's the next principle? So the first principle is pay yourself first. Maybe the first principle ought to be you got to decide you want to do something different. If you're not happy with your personal financial situation right now, I guess the first thing you have to say, I am unhappy enough with it that I'm willing to do something. It's a lot like dieting. I discovered when I bought the treadmill to lose weight that until I stepped up on it and turned it on, it wasn't going to help me. The same thing is true with trying to reach financial independence or financial freedom. The second item of the fundamental group is after you pay yourself first, live within your means. Let me repeat that. Live within your means. Living within your means means not spending more money than you have. We'll talk about debt in a little bit. But living within your means means maybe adjusting your lifestyle. If you're running out of money before you run out of month, you may have to change either how much you've got coming in, which is a lot harder to do, or how you're going out. And Pat, let me ask you. You've seen a lot of tips on how do you live within your means. What are some of the insights that you might share with our listeners? Sure, I think this is one of the hardest things to do because the lifestyle that you're living right now, obviously, or for a lot of people, is beyond your means. And the question that you have to ask yourself is where you can make some changes. But it really starts with knowing where your money is going today. I think we tried once to sit down and say, let's see if we can recapture every penny that we have spent for the month and you can't do it. We can come up with maybe the big pieces, like maybe I know how much my mortgage or my rent is, but do I really know how much money I spent, oh, buying coffee, um, you know, at Starbucks or wherever your favorite coffee shop is? Do I know how much I spent in the vending machine at work? And it's all of those little pieces sometimes that add up that you don't realize. So really, again, the first trick there is figuring out where your money's going and then figuring out the changes that you might have to make to your lifestyle today to be able to fit with the means that you've got. 
you have to have a plan and you have to stay on track with it, meaning you have to make good decisions. Some of the things that uh, that I know that people are doing, and, and there's a lot of them out there, and I would encourage people to share their ideas with each other. There's lots of new apps for your phone where you can walk into a store and download a coupon, for example. So you're in there shopping and, you know, maybe they have a $5 off coupon or a 10% off coupon. You can download it to your phone and they'll apply it at checkout right while you're, you're shopping. The same thing is true if you're shopping online. You can search for coupons for that particular site and that can help reduce what you're saving. Shop for bargains. You know, one of the things we found out, and we forget it a lot of times, is that one of our favorite grocery stores, if we go in on Thursday, we get a senior citizen's discount. Well, that can add up to a whole lot of money over the month because, let's face it, you spend a lot of money on groceries. And it sure might as well be let's shop on Thursdays rather than Wednesday and take advantage of that. But you got to know where all of those things are. So one heard- of the... So one of the things that you can do to live within your means is to shop smart and look for deals. Right. I think another another thing, and you and I have agreed on this for a long time, is you have to be careful that you aren't buying things to satisfy your ego instead of your real needs. You know, a wristwatch that costs $30 today is more accurate than anything you could have bought 50 years ago, and yet uh, a lot of people insist on having a piece of multi-thousand-dollar jewelry. There's nothing morally wrong with that. But you have to make sure that when you're spending money, you're getting value for it, whether that's ego value or functional value. Now back to you. Right. So the other thing that I was going to say, and and you mentioned, um, you know, making good decisions and knowing what it is that you're buying. Well, here's a really easy one, and I think we've all been told this: don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. You end up buying a whole lot of stuff that you really didn't need and maybe you never intend to even use. Uh, you know, but that's a simple little one. And then I was also just going to say, I have a group of friends and we share ideas all the time, all the way from, you know, very inexpensive way to make your own laundry detergent to, um, a great recipe for marinara sauce that costs pennies for, for a serving. So get together with friends and, and trade ideas. You'd be surprised at some of the things that you'll find out. And one of the other and final things that we talk about, and living within your means is something there's lots of resources, absolutely lots of resources, um, and, and that is don't waste money. You know, we see time all the time where you accidentally spend money that you hadn't planned to do. You spend more. You don't take advantage of the bargains. Um, so think about what you're wasting. It's not giving you any value. Um, we were at a seminar, uh, Pat and I, where we learned that one woman, when she did an analysis of where her money had gone, was spending $1,700 every year on the company vending machines. Now, once again, that wasn't a moral issue, but she wasn't aware that that's how much money was going in those vending machines, and it didn't take long for her to say, I can probably cut out $1,000 of that by bringing my own soft drinks or my own snacks or just being a little controlled on that. So there's money there to be found. Again, I think the real important thing there is that we're not saying that you shouldn't spend your money that way, but that she had no idea. So that's one of those great examples of places where you're spending money and you don't even know it. So when we come back from break, uh, we'll pick up uh, with what the next uh, fundamental rule is of the five. We've already looked at the first two. 
Rule number one was pay yourself first, up to 10% of your money. And the second thing is live within your means. Easier said than done, but until you start with the beginning fundamentals, you will never reach financial independence. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We are in the midst of a global sovereign debt crisis that could lead to the ultimate risk for the world economy, the removal of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. What will this event really mean to the markets? And more importantly, what does it mean for you and your family? Listen to Global Currency Watch with your host, Stephen Ayer, to get a full and objective look at the world's sovereign debt crisis and help you prepare for when the crisis envelops the United States. Global Currency Watch airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everybody. It's nice to have you with us on this very special day. If you haven't noticed, it is Leap Day. Once every four years, we get the 29th of February, and I'm never quite sure as to how to deal with that. It's just an extra day. Before the break, we were talking about the five fundamentals of any financial freedom plan. The first is pay yourself first. Second is to live within your means, something a lot of us wish we had started doing sooner in life. So what's number three? The third fundamental, and every expert will tell you this, get, no, not every expert, the people who want to lend you money, will not tell you this, but the, one of the big secrets, one of the fundamentals is get out of debt. Debt is like a set of handcuffs. It limits your choices. It wastes your money. Interest lets you have something now that you can't afford, but it's at a great cost. It's at a cost of freedom and flexibility. It increases the cost of the merchandise. We recently bought a rug, and we're offered the opportunity to pay for it, same as cash, in six months. When the bill came in, there was a little box there, that which you should always read on the bills that you get, where you have the option of postponing the payment. And it said, if we paid the minimum on this rug that we had purchased, it would be paid for 
in 33 years. That's right, 33 years. I wouldn't be here, and the rug probably would have worn out. And I didn't bother to figure out how much that rug would really have cost me. But if you add the cost of interest to what you purchase, it's powerful persuasion not to stay in debt. It increases your risk of anything. I mean, if you lose your job, if something happens in your life and you're deeply in debt, you just don't have the choices. So how do you get out of debt? Here again, the experts agree you should stay out of debt if possible, that you're better off debt-free. However, there's a disagreement if you've got a stack of debt is the best way to get out of it. A lot of people say pay off the well, first of all, you have to decide to get out of debt. Once you decide to get out of debt, you have to look at where your money's been going and find out how to squeeze some money out of that lifestyle plan dedicated specifically to getting out of debt. Let's say you can come up with an extra $200 a month from not using the company vending machine. That $200 should pay, first of all, the minimum amount that each of the credit requires. Pay the minimum on everything to keep your credit score up, to keep your credit integrity high. But the question then is, after you've paid the minimum, which should you pay first, the highest interest or the smallest balance? I'm in the smallest balance school. Other experts will say pay the highest interest. I've tried to pencil out the difference, and it essentially is insignificant. The reason I like to pay the smallest balance first is you soon see the results of your effort. Maybe one bill only has $400 on it, and it's paid off in two or three months. You take it off the bottom, and then you've got a, a lot more money to pay with the next one. And you, little by little, work your way from the bottom up, and you scratch off the ones that have zero balance, and you see it sooner. Whereas if you start with the biggest one, it takes longer to get there. That's my personal bias. But it all starts with, we need to stay out of debt. Staying out of debt, paying off your debt, is step three in the path to financial freedom. Live within your means, pay yourself first, and get out of debt. Most people don't have any problem with that conceptually. It's a whole lot of really hard work. Let's go to number four. Number four is invest for tomorrow. Investing for tomorrow means that 10% that you've set aside to pay yourself first is not to be used for this year's vacation. It's to be invested for the long haul, way out into the future. Don't believe that it's there to indulge your impulse spending. The idea is to invest for tomorrow. Now, you'll want to turn in next week for sure. We have a very special guest on next week. Uh, gentleman, Daniel Goldie, has written a book that is absolutely sensational. You'll want to hear about that. It's called The Investment Answer. What Dan has done is he has identified the five rules of investing. And so we'll look forward next week to hearing from him about that. So investing tomorrow is item number four. Pat, do you have any comments to make on that? No, I think you're right on track. Obviously, um, it all comes down to the discipline part. And again, really that that uh, step of living within your means is uh, is so key to this because if you've set that money aside and then you decide, oh, let's go ahead and take this vacation or buy this or buy that new thing, in fact, you're violating that core principle. 
Uh, it's interesting how many strategies come up about getting out of debt. I had someone approach me after my last class, and this woman wanted to know she should refinance her home. And, you know, she'd had originally a 20-year mortgage, and uh, she said, does it make sense because I can get a 6% mortgage, a 4% mortgage now, and mine was at 6%. And I explained to her it was a way to help her get out of debt. Instead of refinancing the house for the same length of time or for the same amount, re- refinance it at the lower rate. Leave her payments the same, but reduce the term of the loan so that her house would be paid off a lot sooner. Now, there was an idea she hadn't thought about, but in 10 years, instead of 15 years, they're going to be out of debt. They're going to have their house free and clear. And that certainly is a wonderful thing to have going for you in today's economy. If you don't have a mortgage payment, your cost of living and living within your means is certainly a lot easier. Item number five. If I can just jump in here, because we were talking about this the other day, and I found it really interesting. That's a difficult decision to make, and as we said, it really depends on what your current situation is. Um, if you know, if say you're 50 years old, paying off your house has a real high value to it that uh, you can have peace of mind. If you're a lot younger, she may still want to refinance her house but she might find a different use for that extra money that she's not paying out because of the higher interest rate. She might find that putting that towards long-term savings is a better use. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think what we have to say here, being out of debt is a wonderful goal. And i got to tell you, anybody I've talked to who's out of debt can tell you the psychological lift that it gives you. It, it, uh, it means that every dollar you have coming in, is discretionary to spend because you aren't compelled to spend it on things that you previously made a commitment to. But on the other hand, I'm a realist. You know, I I worked my way through college and was able to do it with part-time work and pay off my bills, and I didn't have a student loan. In today's world, young families starting out, it's unrealistic to believe that you can have your first automobiles, although some people will say you could. You're unrealistic to have your big-ticket items debt-free. You aren't going to buy your first house or your cars, or pay for your student loans. Some people call that good debt versus bad debt. And I guess I'm pretty comfortable with that. On the other hand, taking a two-week vacation in Europe in a uh, five-star hotel and borrowing the money for it, I have trouble thinking that I would enjoy paying off that debt over the next three or four years on my credit card. So while I'm sort of an absolutist saying you ought to be out of debt, it's a really good thing, on the other hand, I know that for most people, uh, some debt is going to be required. I think we're coming up on a break now. Why don't we take this time, and when we come back, we'll pick up with looking at some of the risks to our financial freedom. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking today about the fundamentals to financial freedom. Every expert agrees what those should be. We've covered four of them. First, pay yourself first. Second, live within your means. Third, get out of and stay out of debt. The rule is if you're digging a hole, stop digging. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about another way to do that when we talk about the risk to your financial freedom and some strategies there. The uh, fourth item was to... Um, Invest for tomorrow. And we're going to talk about that next week uh, in great detail. Finally, the last item uh, that I have on the fundamentals after uh, investing for tomorrow is protect yourself against risk. This I've added to my list just recently. Um, the reason you have insurance on your home in case of a fire is to protect you from losing that valuable asset. Protecting yourself from losing your wealth is an important part of the fundamentals. It includes not only fire insurance on your house. It ensures being uh, careful about your own personal health. You protect the asset of your earning power by being healthy, doing all the things that we know are necessary to maintain your health, good nutrition, exercise, uh, weight control. All of these things are a risk protection a risk avoidance kind of activity, which means your financial freedom is not at risk because of things you could protect against. Insurance is the most obvious thing. Putting a lock on the front door, uh, leading a lifestyle that is not particularly endangering, although there are people who indulge in extreme sports that I don't understand, but uh, 
that's something I don't do. Um, some people like to gamble. Uh, some people lose their, uh, their entire assets. The attitude here is the path to financial freedom means you have to be very conscious of the risks that your assets have and protect against them as part of the fundamentals. So if you do all five of those things consistently, pay yourself first, live within your means, get out of debt, invest for the future, and protect against losing your assets and your valuables, you are on the way to financial freedom. That's the beginning part. Let's take the next issue. What are some of the things that cause you to be at risk for losing your financial freedom? Now, you can go to my website, which is PTFF. That's Path to Financial Freedom, PTFF.net. It will take you to the, uh, the book I recently wrote called Give Yourself a Raise, How to Have More Money, Less Stress, and Financial Freedom. The list that I'm going to give you now on uh, identifying the risks to your financial freedom can be downloaded from there. You can take the test, you can score it, and you can assess for yourself how risky it is for your financial life. Uh, the book also has everything I've just talked about, uh, about the fundamentals. And so that's where you can find out about uh, my book and each of the transcripts of all of these programs that we've had. So let's start down with the risk to your financial freedom. The first risk to your financial freedom is how stable is your job and income? Do you have a secure source of money coming in? Now, I don't think I have to explain to anybody in this audience that the last five, six, seven years has seen a real wake-up call in this question of job and income stability. Companies have been bought and sold, merged with other companies, downsized, jobs have been lost. People who had two spouses working discover that one of them's job is lost, then another one's job is lost. Uh, investment income for people has been going downhill because interest rates have fallen uh, on their investments. The whole question of income stability has come right into people's faces in the last five years that it never has before. We all know somebody who is struggling because their income has been shut off. Your income stream is the first place you have to look at how safe your financial freedom is. If you're unemployed and don't have any regular income, you're in a heap of hurt. On the other hand, if you have a professional skill and education and your services are much in demand, you are in way better shape than somebody who is struggling to find a job because they have no skills. Which says to me, one of the ways to protect yourself against future risk is to invest in yourself with a broad array of job skills and flexibility to use those. It's something that uh, it's at the top of the list, and it's another reason to be living within your means, because if you're living within your means, the chances are, you won't have as big a crisis if your income stream is interrupted. Second item on the financial freedom risk assessment list. How much emergency cash do you have available? How much emergency cash do you have available? People say to me, well, it all depends how much I need. If you have no emergency cash and something goes wrong, and if you own a house, let me tell you, 
a cash cow, I mean, a cash eater is a house. There is always something that needs fixing or repairs. If you have to dip into your credit card, if you have to increase your debt to maintain your house or to fix a car or to do something else that's unexpectedly come up, you know that having emergency cash is one of the very first things you need to have before you can live within your means. You need to set aside, and there's a complete strategy outlined in the book on how to do this, but the idea is you've got to start putting money while you're paying yourself first. You also need to be setting a little bit aside for that emergency cash so you don't have to borrow more and paying down that debt at the same time. So you need emergency cash, pay down the debt, pay yourself first. If you're upside down in your money life, uh, balancing those out is, is kind of a challenge, but you need to keep all of that in mind. Do the fundamentals. But also realize an emergency cash fund is a safety valve. Now, how big should it be? I think it depends on how much money you got going out every month that you have no control over. Most people would say you need at least $500 in ready cash, for tires for the car, something quick like that. That's barely enough to get by on a short-term small crisis. Ideally, you should have at least six months of your outgo expenses, in readily liquid, and what we mean by liquid is can, can be converted to cash assets. It could be CDs, it could be stocks or bonds that are readily traded. It needs to be money that's earmarked for emergencies. Six months is a minimum. A year is even better. If you've got kids in a house and an expensive lifestyle, you may need more cash than that already. I was reading an article recently about uh, women who have been either recently widowed and it was specifically talking about recent widows who've just gotten a big chunk of life insurance and how to deal with it. And the advisor there said, set aside two years expenses in near cash investments and don't do anything that would be foolish. Put it away and don't make buying decisions for at least two years because you are so emotionally stirred up during that period of time. So for that person, two years amounts to an emergency fund. Without an emergency fund, crises become very much more severe and disrupt your financial uh, integrity more quickly. Next item on the risk scale. Big item on the risk scale. How much debt do you presently have? Some people are near bankruptcy. That's too much debt. You can look at it on how much debt do you have compared to your income. Have you got debt equal to six months' income? Do you have debt equal to 12 months' income? I know people who have debt that's greater than a couple of years' income. All you need to have is a small interruption to your income stream, a small emergency, and suddenly you have a full-bone crisis where you might have had just a mere inconvenience. So look carefully, and on the scale that you download, you'll find a score from 1 to 10, or 0 to 10, if you pay off your balances every month, it's okay from a debt level. And I'm talking about not your home mortgage and your automobiles particularly. I'm talking about credit card and the kind of things that are revolving credits. You should be able to pay that off every month. Uh, I wish they called these plastic devices charge cards as they used to do instead of credit cards. Charge card means that you use it as a convenience tool and pay for it monthly, a credit card means, eh, I don't have to pay it back anytime soon. So that's item number three on the risk scale. Uh, your 
stability of your income, the emergency cash you have available, and how much debt you are currently carrying that you aren't paying off. And if it's a growing amount of debt, your financial freedom is at huge risk. Item number four on the assessment scale, what are your housing costs? Now, this, as you can see, ties very much back into the earlier comments I made on living within your means. One of the things that we have seen happen in the last 10, 15, 20 years, when things were rosy, houses were appreciating in value. Everybody was getting a big raise. They were getting bonus. There was no gloom on the horizon. And one of the things that people were doing is trading up to bigger houses, increasing their housing costs in a fixed manner that they couldn't turn off. They had a bigger house and a bigger mortgage and bigger maintenance bills and bigger utility bills. And pretty soon, if their income was interrupted, the amount of money they were spending for housing was taking nearly anything, everything. If your housing costs are greater than 60% of your gross income, you are in real trouble. You may not know it yet, but if you're spending more than 60%, and that's for all of your housing costs, that would be your home equity loan, your mortgage payment, your utilities, your trash, what it costs you to live in the house is over 60%. You don't have any cushion at all. Ideally, your housing costs should be something less than 35 or 30%. A good benchmark to look at your living within your means is how much are you paying for shelter over your head. Once again, if your mortgage is paid off, you can live in a lot nicer house because you can afford it. So again, there's another indicator of how much your financial freedom is at risk. A fifth item on the assessment scale is what is the value of your house in relation to the mortgage. The newspapers are full every day of stories about, there's one in the Wall Street Journal today, I believe, where uh, the loan on a house is a million five and the house can be sold for a million. And the gentleman's in trouble. He hasn't been able to pay his mortgage payment. Thumb rule for bankers used to be you had to put 20% equity in the home before you could borrow 80%. Then we went to this craziness of borrowing more than the house was worth. If your house is worth less than a mortgage, you're at risk. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to explain that to you. If you owe more on your house than the house could be sold for, you don't even like yourself about that. And the last risk factor, and I won't dwell on the mortgage loan to value thing because that's easy to figure out and we all understand that intuitively. And the last risk factor we talk about is retirement planning and savings. You are at financial freedom risk if you aren't putting money aside and have a dynamic investment program and retirement plan for when you have to retire. Don't wait till you're 64 years old or 65 years old to wish that you'd start a retirement plan. As soon as you start working and putting money aside, you need to think about what you're going to need, what you're going to have to set aside for the next um, part of your life. And without that, you are at great risk because anything interrupting that plan uh, means that when you get there, you may have to keep working until you're 80. So those are the six items. Job stability, emergency cash, debt level, housing costs, mortgage loan to value, and your retirement plan. Two things will modify that, and you'll see it on the scoring sheet. One is how many dependents do you have? If you're single and have no dependents, 
you can be a lot more at risk than somebody who's got four dependents and is 65 years old. So there's an adjustment scale on your risk based on your age and the number of dependents you have. Download that at the website. Uh, take a look at your own risk profile. Look at the fundamentals, and I think you'll see how you get on the path to financial freedom. Now, the next thing I want to finish up with today, and will you move into the last segment? We've got a few minutes here before we have to take another break. But I want to lay the foundation here. No matter how well we talk about these fundamentals, no matter how much we identify the risks, unless we have personal goals, unless we have set out a plan for ourselves that incorporates all of these, we're not going to get the job done. So when we come back from our break, I'm going to turn over the microphone to Pat and let her share with you some of the fundamentals of goal setting, how important it is that you have goals in all phases of your life, both in the stage of your lifestyle, stage of your, uh, you know, from youth to middle age to, to senior, and all the elements. And it's very much easier to reach financial freedom if you understand how important the underlying goals are to that. So I see we've only got a couple of minutes here. Um, we're going to go ahead and take our break now, and we'll be back with Pat right after that. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, 
please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everybody. This is Gordon Bennett with Path to Financial Freedom. In the first segments today, we talked about the fundamentals of financial freedom for everybody. The first five are pay yourself first, live within your means, get out of debt, invest for the future, and protect yourself against asset loss and risk protection. I then reviewed the risk to your financial freedom and referred you to the website ptff.net, where you can download the risk to financial freedom scale, where you take a look at how risky your income is, your emergency fund, your debt level, your housing costs, and your retirement plan. Um, to finish off today's segment, I want to talk about goals. Rather, I want Pat to talk about goals. All of these concepts are wonderful, but how do you put them into play? To that, we must have goals. And so, Pat, let's have your wisdom on how people can deal with goals in their personal life. Sure. Thanks, Gordon. You know, it's interesting, but there's also actually been a lot of research that has been done on goal setting. And what the research tells us that when goal setting is done right, it can actually increase our productivity and our satisfaction with things. Goals help us to focus our attention, our activity, and our, and our efforts. And it helps us do that by, by focusing that on achieving what we want and away from those things that take up our time, take up our effort, and take up our money. Um, other research has shown, however, that if goals are not done right, that they can actually produce more harm than good. There was a study that showed that 78% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually fail to keep them, surprise, surprise, and sometimes they end up feeling worse than if they'd never set a goal to begin with. So it's important that when we talk about setting goals, that we do them right so that they can help us rather than harm us. Let me give you a couple of examples. Okay. Gordon told you I'm a retired business executive. I spent many years of my career in the sales management area. And um, those of you who are familiar or if that's your field, you know that sales is driven by goal setting. Well, if I have a sales rep and I give them a territory and they have a book of products to sell, they may wander around from one customer to another and they may sell this or they may sell that. But usually I want to direct their efforts. I want them to sell more profitable products. Maybe I want them to sell newer products. And maybe I particularly want them to focus on a certain customer segment. So I'm going to set them a goal that's going to reward them for selling certain products to certain customers. That will focus their activity. If they know that they have a goal and that they're going to be rewarded for achieving it, they're going to spend more of their time on those products and those customers that will help them achieve that goal and will help them reap that reward in the end. I actually had a, um, a sales rep who worked for me once who was so good at, at following a plan 
to reach his goal that I had to be sure to tell him that if the goals were changing, because otherwise he would continue to do what he was um, what he was doing. It, you know, if somebody didn't tell him, hey, we're not selling that product today, we want you to focus on something different. Now, another way of looking at goals is, is goals that our society has. And, and a really interesting one and a very famous one that, Gordon, you talk about a lot in your book, is the goal that we had back in the 60s to put a man on a moon. Now, you say it better than I do. So can you describe in that one sentence what that strategic vision was? Well, John F. Kennedy said, and everybody's heard this, everybody knows it, everybody can repeat it, and they, it, it comes up all the time on television. He said, we are going to put him in, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the essential parts of it. We are going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade and return him safely to Earth. This is what you refer to as strategic vision. It organizes resources. It organizes energy, and energy is resource, of course. And it is a test for whether what you're doing is leading to the goal. It, if they were going to spend money to find the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean's deepest spot, they'd say, wait a minute, that doesn't fit the goal of putting a man on the moon. And we need the same kind of strategic moonshot vision in our own personal lives. So back to you, Pat. Absolutely. And again, Gordon, as you talk about in your book, when we're talking about personal goals, we're really looking at three different things, acquiring stuff, having experiences and accumulating wealth. So once we know what we want to do, or actually, that's the first step, we have to decide where we want to go. So in the case that you described, we knew that we wanted to put a man on the moon. In case of our personal life, maybe one of those first goals is we want to buy a new car. So that's where we want to go. The second thing is we have to figure out where we are. And again, so maybe, you know, we're right here and, and we know that we have a car that, you know, is probably going to last about another year and then we're going to have to buy a new one after that. The third point is we got to create a plan to get from where we are today to where we want to be. In order to be effective, you've got to write the plan down. Revise it and revise it and revise it until you're happy with it. But until it's written down, it's just an idea. It doesn't become a goal. And then the next step, and Stephen Covey says this better than just about anybody I know, start with the end in mind. Work backwards. Begin with where you want to go and then back up in little pieces to get you there. Or as Gordon, sometimes as you say, break it down into chunks. And research also shows us that if the plan is specific enough, you will double your chances of success. If you're not specific, you're not going to get there. Most people uh, fail to think about all of the steps that they need to do along the way. So, for example, if one of our goals, as you've been talking about, is getting out of debt, the first thing we have to do is figure out how much money do we have? What is our income? How much money do we have to work with? And then, as we said, you got to figure out where's it going today? You might not be able to figure all of that out, but that's an important step. Until you know that, you can't make the choices and decisions about what you need to change in order to get you where you want to go. And then at the end, you need to continue to evaluate how your plan is, how you're doing, how you're getting there, and 
um, and make any changes that you need. There's a great article that I read just recently on a flight on Southwest Airlines. Those of you who travel Southwest, pick up the magazine and take a, a look at it. It gives a great story about a young man who went through a very tragic accident. But the thing that's important about it is how goals helped shape this young man's life. First of all, to get him to become a top baseball player where he he thought he had natural talent and he didn't need a, a plan. And then finding out that it really was hard work and having a plan to build the skills that he needed to make himself successful. And he applies the same rigor now that he has had this paralyzing accident to rehabilitate and rehabilitating and getting the help that he needs to regain his strength and to actually someday be able to walk again. It's a great article, very inspiring, um, and I recommend it to everyone. So those are just kind of some basics about setting goals. Gordon, I'm going to turn it back to you. We're going to have to wrap it up now. I want to thank you, Pat, for those insights on goals. Remind everybody that this transcript is available if you want to check back in on Voice America. I want to encourage you to tune in next week when we're going to have Daniel Goldie on for the investment answer. He's going to give you five very simple to understand five rules for investment simplicity and sanity. It's one of the best books I've ever read, and I'm honored to have him on the program. And finally, uh, check our website out at PTFF. That's Path to Financial Freedom dot net, PTFF dot net. You can download uh, this program. You can download a lot of the information from my book, including the risk assessment uh, scale and other tips. With that, we're going to sign off for the day and wish you all a happy Leap Day. Thank you for listening to The Path to Financial Freedom. Please join your host, Gordon Bennett, again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, are you going to make a bad choice or a great choice with your money? Come back next week for more. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad,